0: So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, and John chapter 14 and verse 12. And those are kind of our our base verses for the sermon series. So honestly, when we talk about the idea of healed and whole, we're talking about the fact that God intends to heal us, mind, spirit, soul, body, the total of who we are, that he intends for us to be healed, and not only to be healed, but also to live whole, that we would live a lifestyle where we are completely and totally whole in those areas. So we have a world that comes against us that tells us all of the negative things about life that you know you could contract this disease or that disease, that if you don't watch, your pennies just exactly right, that you could lose out financially, and that if you don't care for relationships the way you absolutely need to, that you could lose those deep-seated, heartfelt relationships even in your life and become broken there. There are so many negatives in life that they talk about over the news cycles and over the media that we are bound and determined to lose yeah, that's the total antithesis of what the Bible talks about, that we are to be healed, that we are to be whole in everything that we do and everything that God's called us to. So today we want to reconcile the idea of being healed and also being healed and staying whole. There's a difference. You ever notice that there are some folks that uh, they something transpires in their life, like they have a relationship that's broken, it becomes mended, but over time it breaks down again. It doesn't stay whole. Or maybe they experience healing in their body, their physical body, and over time they lose, or quote that term, lose their healing. They don't keep the healing that God gave them. Well, we're going to look at principles as to why things don't stay consistent in our lives from day to day and from time to time. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. So we're going to start one of the base scriptures for our sermon series. It said, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, this is speaking to the character and nature of Jesus. This is a little review from last week. It's speaking to the character and nature of who Jesus was. Right That he is the Son of God that he 's been anointed or he's given he 's been given an ability from heaven that comes by way of the Holy Spirit, and this ability or this 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 power that was given to him by way of the Holy Spirit is actually open to every single person we don 't have time to go through all that, but he did everything he did in the miraculous not because he was God but because he was man, though he was all God and all man while he was here on planet Earth, that all of what he did he did as a human person, not because he was simply divine. Then it goes on to, on to say he went about doing good and healing. So the idea of do, going around and doing good deeds for, for people is a good idea. But it's not the total aspect of the gospel. That The gospel literally says that we should go around doing good and healing those who are oppressed of the devil. What does that mean? That's simply saying healing those who are seeing something in their life that's contrary to the principles of the word, that is contrary to the promises of the word, that we would be those who would help set to right anything in someone's life that is contrary to what God's promises are for us. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Now, these are the words of Jesus. He talks about his life and he says, listen, I'm telling you that if you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do these also, but also greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. So first we have the character, nature of who Jesus is. That Jesus is a miraculous working person. That anytime Jesus shows up on the scene, a miracle has either just happened, it's in the process of transpiring, or it's about to happen. That you cannot look at the life of Christ without seeing the miraculous, and especially healing. That he is going about as part of his nature and his character, healing all of those who are experiencing anything less than God's best for their life. And then he goes on to say, this is the character and nature of who I am, he goes on to say this, that all of these things that you've seen me do, that you as believers, those who believe in me, that you will do these same things, but even greater works than these will you do. So this is the context for where we're we're really jumping off in this sermon series. We have this idea, though, that that we have this moment of faith and that when faith is produced to the extent that the anointing of God is distributed in our life or the power and presence of God is distributed, then then, then and only then can we lay hands on the sick and see them to recover. Then and only then can we see God do the miraculous in our life that when there's this moment where we become like the Pope, man, we get on his level, then maybe something miraculous can happen in our life. Yet Jesus was talking to folks just like you and I, common, ordinary, everyday people, and he said, listen, you can do the same works I do. And even greater works than these you can see happen at your hands. But there's a caveat. There's a caveat we're gonna talk about today on how to align our life with the words and the promises of God so that we we can see this type of the miraculous happen in our life. The fact is that it's not a New Testament idea that we would wait for some moment or for some person to just suddenly appear and that we would finally have what's necessary to see the miraculous happen in our life. That's not a New Testament idea. It's not even how Jesus showcased healing. Jesus became a man so that we could see what it was like for a life to be lived as a man, totally yielded to the Holy Spirit, and in being totally yielded to the Holy Spirit, he would understand God's grace. If you have your Bibles again, John chapter 1, I believe this is verse 4. I have verse 14 written down for some reason, if that's wrong, whatever, but it is in the first chapter of John. And it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory in the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, that Jesus himself is the embodiment of all of the word of God. All that we see in the Old Testament, Jesus became the fulfillment of, the physical manifestation of, that all of the promises of God that are written out through scripture, all the promises of God that were written out that the rabbis discussed and those sages discussed, they were all embodied in this person. And then it became flesh or the spoken word of God became a person and he dwelt among us and he was full of grace and truth. So that when we understand the nature of Christ, everything that he says does, everything that is around him as a person is truthful, but there's a grace, there's an empowerment, there's an embodiment of the power of the Holy Spirit that is within him. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a catching up for those of you who weren't here last week. But there's a question that we have to ask ourselves when we talk about sickness, disease, healing, and being whole. There's a question that we have to ask ourselves. There's a a statement that might seem a little rough at times, and it's, it's this. That the truth that has the greatest potential to set you free also has the greatest potential to offend you. The truth in life that has the greatest potential to set you free has the greatest potential to offend you because we become comfortable. We get really comfortable with the chains that are around us that limit us. We get very comfortable in the box that we live in. We get very comfortable in the situation or station in life that we find ourselves in. And if someone looks at you and says, listen, you're not living life to its fullest, you could get very offended and say, you don't know me. Who do you think you are to tell me that I'm not living life to the fullest extent that I could? Who are you to tell me that I'm not experiencing the best that God could have for for me? Who are you to tell me that there's any deficiency in my life whatsoever? And before this sermon's over, we're going to get to a very hard and impactful question that crosses this line. So the question, the hard question, why do people lose out of the promises of God? Why do they lose their healing? Why do relationships that were once mended go bad? Why do financial situations that God has dug someone out of go back to the old recurring negative narrative? Why do these things happen? Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. We're going to get there in just a moment. But there's a there's a process, a process that happens in life. We believe God for, for the miraculous. We believe God for the impossible. We stir up our faith, we build up our faith, and then the miracle happens. Many times we see a great win in our life, and we celebrate it, we thank God for it, and then we move on. And sometimes we don't take a moment to step back and to think, okay, what did it take to get to this place, and what do I need to do to keep myself in this winning atmosphere? And that's what we want to tackle today. Jude in chapter 1 and verse 20 says, But you, dear friends, must build up each other in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, that there is a moment of replenishing, that there is a moment of building. We understand this on the outset of a problem. When a problem hits our doorstep, we're pretty good, most of us, to say, okay, what do I need to do to align myself with God's promises? What do I need to do to align myself so that in this moment, God can take over, so that in this moment, God can have his way, so that in this moment, I can experience the miraculous, or I can experience healing, or I can experience wholeness. We're pretty good about that on the the onset of an issue. But what do we do when we've fought the fight and we've won? What do we do when we've fought the fight and we've seen maybe a little victory? What do we do when we've fought the fight yet we haven't stepped back to replenish ourselves? Jude says there's a building of self, the most holy faith, the most sacred faith that comes as we interface with God, that comes as we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, that comes as we fellowship with Him. See, you can live whole. You don't have to live broken. You can live whole in every area, spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally. You can live whole in every single area. But there's a process to it. Third John chapter one and verse two, it says this, beloved, I pray that in all aspects you might prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Now, there are some folks that would like to write off these two lines as just a generic greeting, that John was just greeting some folks he was writing a letter to. And in his generic greeting, he was saying, listen, I'd like for you to prosper and for things to go well for you. Yet we know that all scripture is inspired by God and that is good for our edification and for our development. So there has to be purpose behind just a generic greeting. In fact, I believe the words here are true to themselves, even when you parse them out in their original language, that the writer's saying simply that we should prosper and be in health, that everything should be well with us as our soul is developing, as our soul is on the journey of maturation, as our soul is being discipled that we should see within us the development of the human person to its total and full extent that we would be turned back into our original state of being as our soul goes well or as it goes well with our soul. But there's a process there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. Go ahead and turn there. It's very important. And we're going to actually read from verse 22 all the way to 25, but we're going to break it up and stop with verse 22. So, what is this prosperity of the soul? What does it look like if we were to flesh it out? If we were to flesh it out and take steps and watch God develop us to the point that we are healed and whole, what does that look like? Well, let's start with verse 20. My sons, pay attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they're life to those who find them. And they're what? They are health to the whole body. Okay. Let's backtrack for a second. So we're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying, interfacing, connecting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see in Proverbs, the literal definition, the literal step-by-step on how to do that. Pay attention to the words that God's speaking. Pay attention to the promises of God. Pay attention to what he's already fought, bled and died for that are yours. Pay attention to the rules and regulations that are carved out for us to live as human persons and as Christian people. Pay attention to what he says to do and do it incline your ears to his sayings or me that we should connect to those sayings we should we should know what those sayings are we should understand the word of god don't lose sight of them keep them in front of you and keep them within your heart And once you do that, there is a vitality. There is life that comes to you. And that life that comes is literally health to the body. We're going to get on to that next. This next verse here in 23 is very important. It's the hinge point to everything we're talking about. We're going to get there in a second. Try not to read ahead too much. But this goes beyond. This stretches beyond feelings and emotions. It stretches beyond just uh, just the way we the, the way we walk through life and stumble through life and feel good and happy and sad all at the same time. It it it, it stumbles past the idea uh, that we get offended easily or or that we that we find our new favorite teaching and we connect to that and. In, in, through Facebook or through some other means, it, it goes beyond just the, the trivial day-to-day, moment-to-moment. It talk, it's talking about a belief system, a hard-held belief system of the heart, that there is at our core a belief system. There is a faith, build yourself up in your most holy faith, that there is a faith, a fully persuaded nature of who you are. And if you will commit to that by understanding the word of God and its truths, That there's something on the other end that's of huge benefit. That there's a cycle in our life that happens. That we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, faith, in our most significant faith, in our set-apart faith. The faith that sets us apart is people who are crazy. The faith that sets us apart is those who are believing for the impossible. The faith that sets us apart where others can look at us and think, who do you think that you are? you know the promises of God. There's a building up of this most holy faith. And we use our faith for day-to-day issues. We use, our, we use our faith to get up every single day. We use our faith just to get out of bed and believe that the car we're driving is gonna get us to point A to point B. We believe in faith that our spouse loves us even in spite of our inconsistencies. You believe that the chair that you're sitting on will actually hold you up. That's a level of faith. That there's a faith in you that says, yes, these four legs will hold me up and it stinks when it doesn't. You sit down and crash over or fall over and your faith is diminished in that piece of furniture. But there's a level of faith that connects us to the day-to-day that we use daily. There's a level of faith that we use in our activities. There's a level of faith that we use when when we step out and do something of merit. When we step out and go for that promotion, there's a level of faith that says, I can have it. When we step out and we, and we ask God and we ask those around us for good advice to go and to do the impossible, there's a level of faith that rises in our heart. There's a level of faith that pushes us into different avenues, into different areas, into different actions, but it's a level of faith that we use every day. And then there's a level of faith that we use to overcome mountains. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and don't doubt, that you can speak to that mountain, that cast itself into the sea, that it'll be turned over on itself. And I don't have time to go into that Bible reference too much, but it really was talking about dead religious systems, that if you have enough faith, you can speak to old dead religious systems and watch them be uprooted and turned over on themselves. Most of us live in dead religious systems, rather than believe in God for the faith to overcome them. So there's this cycle that happens that we start to use our faith for the day to day. We start to use our faith for those faith-filled action steps. We start to use our faith for those impossible mountain moving moments and then we experience a win. We experience a great win in our life. We experience something that we've accomplished in faith that is of great value to us. But then we become depleted. Not because we want to, but because we've used our faith not because we want to be depleted or deficient, but because we've gathered all of the strength, we've gathered all of this faith, we've gathered all this knowledge, we've studied the scriptures on a particular topic or subject, and we've, we've released it into the atmosphere, and we've watched God do the miraculous, and now we get depleted. And this is when the enemy attacks. This is when the enemy attacks and our faith is depleted. Yet Proverbs says to get back in the cycle so that you don't fall prey. This is where people lose their healing. This is where the relationship goes bad again. This is where the financial issue takes a left turn. This is when those recurring issues and themes of life sneak up on us even after we've had a win. Because what happens is that we've used up all the faith for today and we haven't garnered faith for tomorrow. We get tired sometimes in the fight. We get tired sometimes because it's not part of our habits. It's not our habitual routine to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. It's not our habit to hear and to hear, as the Bible says, is how faith comes. The faith comes by hearing and hearing the repetitive nature of filling yourself up. So Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence. I love that. I love that phrasing. Guard your heart with all diligence for from, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away deception from your mouth. Keep your lips from perverse speech. Let your eyes look forward and fix your gaze straight ahead. Now this is the writer talking to you and I about beginning back into this cycle of faith so that we're not depleted and we're not run down so that we can have faith for that next battle so that we can have faith for that next healing so that we can have faith for that next issue. He says, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Now, many of us hear the word heart, and we think, we think Valentine's Day. We think emotions. That's not what the author's talking about. In fact, in, um, in wisdom literature in the Old Testament, wisdom literature is Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, sometimes Song of Solomon, different parts of it. But wisdom literature had two major focuses, health and wealth. So when they wrote about the wisdom literature, they put the wisdom literature books together. They were literally trying to give to the, the hearer ways to empower them to become wealthy and healthy all at the same time. And in doing so, the writer here in Proverbs says, guard your heart. Now, not your heart, your, your emotional core, but your heart, your belief center. When when the writer in the in the uh, uh, wisdom literatures, when they were talking about the emotions of a man. They would talk about the idea that he was moved within his inward sense or he was moved within his bowels. It wasn't about having to go to the bathroom. It was about the fact that there was an the emotional pull and he didn't know how to deal with it. So they use different wording. But when they talk about the heart, they're talking about a belief center. So guard your belief center. If we go back to the first portion of what we read today in, in, in Proverbs 4 verse 20 Pay attention to my words incline your ears to my sayings then jump down to 23 Guard your heart so once you've collected what God is saying the truth of what he's saying about your situation that you are healed that you are whole that your relationships are mended that you are the lender and not the borrower that you know the promises of God for your life once you know that he says put a guard around that put a guard around that don't let the don't let the guard down Don't let someone convince you otherwise, because from that heart flows the issues of life. Listen, every aspect of of life flows from your heart. Everything you receive, everything you see in your life, everything that you feel in your life comes from the heart. The idea of who you are, of who you really are, of who you truly are comes from your heart. The thought or the struggles in your life, they come from your heart, The belief about God and your relationship with God comes from the heart. The concepts that you get what you deserve or you don't get what you deserve comes from your heart. Guard it. Fill it first with the principles and the promises of God. Get inclined to his sayings. Connect with the word of God and then put a guard or a hedge around it because out of it will flow all of the issues of life. And then he says, put away deception from your mouth and keep your lips from perverse from perverse speech that's not about cussing that's not like saying hey i got that t-shirt that says i'm a christian but i cuss a little that's not what it's talking about it's talking about this idea first that the deceptive thoughts or the deceptive words or deceptive language that's saying something contrary to the will of god that you're trying to embed in your heart so when we say things like this i'm sick but you know god's ways are above my ways so maybe there's something i can learn from it that is not the truth of scripture that is exactly in contradiction to what's being said in Proverbs. The Bible says you're healed and you're whole based on what Jesus did on the cross. We deceive ourselves or we get our mouth talking in deceptive words when we say, Well, his ways are above my ways, or he's, he's teaching me something. And it's a total contradiction to the word of God. Don't let anyone say when they're tested, tempted, or tried that they're tested, tempted, or tried of God for God cannot test, tempt, or try by evil means. That is absolute fundamental scripture. We are not allowed to say that when the brakes go out on your car and you smash into someone at a stoplight, that, well, God must've been teaching me something. We are not allowed to say that when the doctors come in with that big C word and it scares us, cancer, well, God must be teaching me something. No, that is the devil. That is the contradiction, the absolute opposite to the promises of God. You are not taught by an abusive father. Listen, if we were to take that line of thinking and actually believe it, then for me as a dad, if I were to teach my kids about pain, because there's pain in life, the first thing I do is walk over my little three-year-old noble and just snap his arm. Just break it right in that femur. You know, every one of you would call for me to be put in prison if I did that. And rightfully so, that's abuse. Yet we ascribe the same behavior pattern to God and say he's teaching us. That's a deceptive thought. That's deceptive language. That's deceptive speech that we're supposed to guard our heart against. We're supposed to understand the full nature of who he is the concepts of the promises of Scripture, to guard them in our heart and not allow a singular voice or the voice of the masses to persuade us otherwise. And then it goes on to say that there's perverse speech. Perverse speech is saying that you are anything different than what the Bible says you are. You are the healed of God. You are a child of God. You are whole. You are wonderfully made. You are beautiful in his sight, that there is nothing in you that is deficient because God put within you everything that you need based on the sacrifice of Christ. So the Bible's really clear here. Guard your heart. Guard that belief core. Guard that centerpiece. What are you believing for? Where are you setting your faith or faith? Where are you focusing your faith? And then he says to put away deceptive thought. Put away those thoughts that are contrary Put away those thoughts that are contrary to the fundamental truths of scripture, and then understand that you are not allowed to talk perversely about yourself. You are not allowed to talk about yourself in a way that's the that's any way different than the way God sees you. You are loved, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a purpose, you have a destiny that nothing that you've done in this life devoids you or devalues you from the way God initially intended you to live this life. And it sounds arrogant at times. Man, does it sound arrogant when you know that, that life has just, man, it's just happened fast. And there's a prognosis, there's a diagnosis that isn't good. And you look your doctor in the face and say, man, it doesn't matter what you say because I'm healed because of what Jesus did, I'm healed. It's hard to look at a deficiency in our bank accounts at times and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what those numbers say. I know that I have more than enough. I know that I am going to be the lender and not the borrower. I know that God has, that he has provision for me, that he has prosperity for me. It might be hard at times to say what is contrary even to our state of being. But the fact of the matter is that that is that perverse speech that Proverbs Proverbs speaks of. And then verse 25, he says... uh, let your eyes look forward and fix your gaze straight ahead. That once we understand in our core, in our belief center, in that centerpiece of faith, once we understand the principles and promises of God that are ours, once we, once we push away teachings that are contrary to the promises of God, once we start to realign our self and our self-value and our self-worth and see ourselves as Christ does, that in that moment, we don't look to the side we don't look to the right or the left, that we stay focused, that we fix our gaze ahead, that we, that we focus on the prize, we focus on the healing, we focus on the restored relationship, we focus on the financial benefit, we focus on what God has for us and not anything that's in our past, not any, anything that's to our right or to our left, that we know what is ours and we go after it. Everything, every aspect of life flows from your heart. Every aspect of this life flows from your heart. So the question is, what do you believe about yourself? Whatever you believe about yourself, it eventually becomes true. If you don't believe that you should be happy, you won't be. If you don't believe that you should be comfortable in this life, you won't be. If you don't believe that you are to be prosperous, you won't be. If you don't believe that you are to be healed, you won't be. The fact is you have to hold within that heart, you have to guard that heart a picture of what you intend this life to look like. You have to start to create and to form the world around you by what you harbor in your heart. And the question, I said I would ask a question today and it might be hard. It might be one of those truth statements that has the potential to offend, but it also has the potential to set you free. This statement is is difficult at times even to apply to my own life but it's real, and it says, do you find identity in your narrative of lack? Do you find, do I find identity in my narrative of lack? Listen, there are so many folks out there that their identity is what's wrong with them. Well, this is, you don't know my life, past. You don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. I know what Jesus did for you. You know what? I, I don't know what the doctor said and what might be broken in your life, but I know what God said. I don't know all of the issues that could plague your life, but I know what Christ did on that cross, and I know its weight is so much greater than anything you could be facing. Listen, there's a truth that we can identify with either the lack in our life or we can identify with the abundance that God has paid for. Where do we identify And it's a moment by moment choice. This is what it is to guard our heart. When we're faced with adversity, what do we believe? And if you don't believe God's best about you, go back and dig up the roots of that thought process. Dig up the roots of that belief and start to plant a new garden. Start to seed bed your heart over again. Start to believe that you are the best that God has for you. Because the truth of the matter is, whatever is most consistent about yourself becomes the truth. Whatever's the most most consistent becomes truth. If you don't see yourself as God's child, then you won't be his child. If you see yourself as a failure, then you are going to be a failure. If you see yourself broken, then you are going to be broken. We have to learn to re identify with the scriptures and not our experience. Our experience does not dictate what this scripture or what this Bible says. Our experience does not dictate the promises of God over our life. He gets to define who he is. He gets to define the promises. He gets to define. He gets to define who we are. We don't. But whatever is the most consistent about who we are becomes the truth of who we are. So we have to ask ourselves the question, where are we identifying? What is the heart saying about who we are? What is our heart telling us about who we are? If we're to be healed and to be whole, if we're to be healed and to maintain a sense of wholeness, we have to come to a place where we re-identify with the promises of God first. We need to learn to build ourselves up in our most holy faith that we come to a place in Christ where we are in actively uh, pursuing the promises of God. We're actively searching the scriptures for what is ours. And man, for you, this might be so the, the the first like the first time you've ever done anything like this. It might be so difficult that all you can do is to just Take in that John 3:16 verse that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we wouldn't perish, but we'd have everlasting life. That you might need to just hang on that truth for a while that I, God loved me. God loved me so much he sent his son for me that I, I, I am worth something because Jesus died for me. And it becomes that repetitive nature to the point where it's just reactionary. That when something happens in your life, you say, no, 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 God loved me. And let me prove to you how he loved me. Jesus died for me. And because he died for me, I know that I have security in this life when it is over, that I don't have to worry about the afterlife. I don't have to worry about what would come when this life is over, that I know I'm his and that I'll find heaven is my home. Maybe that's the first verse you have to connect with, but maybe you're on a different level and you connect with other verses, like no weapon formed against me shall prosper and any vain tongue that would rise up against me in judgment I shall condemn, for this is the heritage of the children of God, that you know you are secure and that you are at, peace because because of who God is and because of what he's done in your life because that truth becomes the overriding conversation of your heart it becomes who you are but we have lied to ourselves and told us that aspirin fixes headaches there is nothing in aspirin that's going to fix a headache not long term and you ask anyone that suffers from migraines and consistent migraines and they'll tell you aspirin's good for a while Maybe even some really high dose Tylenol is really good for a moment, but it doesn't fix the problem. When I was growing up as a young child, I used to have all kinds of food allergies to the point that if I ate just a little bit of the wrong thing, I would get these massive headaches to the point where I couldn't move. I was like, I was just out, laying on the couch, laying over my mom, plugging my ears, just trying not to hear or see anything. It was debilitating. To the point where I can remember we were on family trips going up to Adventureland up here in Des Moines and the headache came on and all I did was sit on a park bench all day because I couldn't move. It was rough. And eventually as, an, as, as a teenager and as an adult, I got a hold of this idea that God doesn't want me to live that way. That God doesn't want me to live sick. That God doesn't want me to live with a headache or the thought that I'm gonna have a migraine if I just eat a little bit of the wrong thing. To the point now that I don't even think about what I eat, and it's obvious, but I don't even think about what I eat at times. I put stuff in my mouth that I would have never eaten as a child because I would have gotten an instant headache. I remember for about 10 years, I never had a hot dog. Now I don't even think about it because the crap that's in hot dogs isn't good for you, but also because it was an instant headache. And the fact is that it had to become a new overriding truth. You're not gonna have those migraines. I don't care what you eat. I don't care what they put in front of you. You're not gonna get sick. You're not going to get sick. You don't need to live in that fear. And now, I'm not saying I never have a problem, but there are times where I'm reminded and I have to go back to that fundamental truth that I know. No, you're not going to take this. You're not going to take this healing from me. I'm not going to go back to that place where just a little bit of the wrong food is going to bring me to a place of being incapacitated for a week. That's not going to happen. I have too much life to live but we all have to get to the place where we start to re-identify with the promises of God and who we are. That the central truth about who we are becomes the scripture and not our experience. Listen, some of you are, are very familiar with the different things that have gone on in our family with Noble being sick and my arms and everything else. And you know that there's been some issues where we've been attacked physically. That attack doesn't mean we're gonna stay there. I don't look at that little kid even though the surgery's been done on his ankle and the, and the, uh, the, the, the uh, infection's been washed out, I don't look at that child and think, well, he's gonna get sick again. He's just gonna get sick again. Good Lord, we're gonna have to do this over again. I don't even li- look at that child worried because I know he's healed. I know he's the healed of God. Now, there might be moments where the devil tries to push that. As our faith wanes because we use our faith every day and maybe we become a little depleted, there may be moments where the devil tries to push that. We'll see what how strong their belief system is. And all I know in my heart is I don't care how hard he pushes, I'm going to push back 10 times as hard. I don't care how hard he pushes that issue. I'm gonna push back 10 times as hard. I'm gonna take that truth, bury it deep in my heart and set my face like a flint. I'm gonna set my face like stone and believe that this is the promise of God and this is what he's called us to. We have to come to a place if we're gonna be healed and hold, if we're gonna maintain that space that we'd stop identifying with momentary issues of lack Where momentary issues of lack where we feel sick, where we feel depleted, where we see a depletion in our bank accounts, where we see relationships that are, that are breaking and falling apart. We have to come back to a place of what is God's best? What is his promise best in the scriptures? That's my truth. I don't care what it looks like. That's my truth. I don't care what it feels like. That's my truth. You want to maintain a healing? That's what you go to. You cannot maintain a healing by wondering if it's going to sneak up on you again. You cannot maintain a healing by not replenishing yourself in faith every single day. You cannot maintain a healing by going back to the old thoughts of pain and suffering and issues. You have to maintain a new directive, as we read here in in Proverbs, that you let your eyes look forward, that you fix your gaze ahead. That is behind you. That is no longer who you are. The Bible is very clear that we are new creations who are in Christ Jesus, that all things are made new, that we are not the same old dead person that we were. The Bible is also very clear that we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but we don't live in our own strength, but we live by the power of Jesus. We live by the power and the presence of that same Christ that hung on that cross. And that we have been crucified with Him means that our dead sin is on that cross that our our dead sickness is on that cross, that our dead existence is on that cross, that our dead relationships are on that cross, that our past failures are on that cross, that our money mistakes are on that cross, that everything that is a diminishing point in this life is on that cross, and that when we come off it because we live in the power of Christ, that we experience nothing but abundance. I think we need to come to a place in Christ and in church where we see the abundant nature of God as our centerpiece. I don't care if you drove in here smoking on fumes and a car held together by bumper stickers, that is not the place for you to live this life in that God has a benefit for you that is so much greater than the position that you find yourself in today. But you need to go and find the scriptures. You need to go and search out in the word. You need to go and pull out the truths of his word, hide them in your heart and guard your heart against anything that would speak the contrary. That you know who you are in Christ Jesus and that's the overriding fact. If we're to maintain a state of healed and whole, if we're to maintain a state where we've been prayed for, we've experienced healing, and we keep that healing, we have to fight this fight of faith every single day. I know who I am. I know what God's called me to. I know the promises of God, that they are yes and they are are amen, that they are settled in heaven, and all I have to do is learn to walk in them. We need to ask ourselves that hard question. Are we identifying with our narrative of lack? Are you identifying with a narrative of lack because it's what you become accustomed to? Or are you identifying with the truth of scripture that you live in an abundant storehouse of God's grace and that anything you need, he already has an answer for? See, the fact is, if we were to paint this picture a little differently, there is literally in heaven a storehouse of every answered prayer of every answered prayer, of everything you could ever ask, wish, or want from God, it is all laid up in heaven. And he has already said, it's yours if we'll learn how to access it. Today, it's about learning how to access it. Healing is learning how to access it. Living a whole life is learning how to access it. So this morning, I want to I give you that hard question. Where are you identifying? With lack or with provision with lack because it's what you've experienced, or provision because you know it's God's promise. Learn to live in that state of God's provision.